And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose. Welcome to episode number 66, PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, February 16th, 2015. Well, folks, it seems like anything and everyone was doing last week was trying to sort out their inner goddess and figure out what your 50 Shades of Grey actually were. That's right. The long-awaited movie version of the book came out this week and by all accounts is, well, you know, whipping right along. I myself couldn't see it because I was all tied up. And if you'd like to stop playing with Anastasia and Christian and come on over to Joe in my playroom, well, maybe you can try and figure out how your content marketing strategy is turning you more red than a communist manifesto. Oh yeah, that's right. And because we also know you're also one of the millions in mourning because Jon Stewart is leaving The Daily Show or because you know that you're all torn up about Brian Williams being on suspension for lying about getting shot at you'll always know that you can always turn to us, your friends, your buddies, Robert and Joe. And if you'd like to turn us to us now instead for your weekly fix of the daily news, leave us a review on iTunes, won't you? Just go to iTunes, let us know what you think about our little weekly news show or what color your inner goddess is turning or just anything on your mind, quite frankly. Okay, let's get this awesome show underway. And of course, I am happy to introduce, as always, my partner, my colleague, my good, good friend, the Christian Gray of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Excuse me. I'm. You know what? I, I just got off vacation. I'm doing fantastic. I did catch a little bit of the cold. Is that what the kids call it these yeah, days? Yeah, that's what they're calling it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's not medication for this cold, though. At least it won't work fast enough. I am, I am medicated. I got a I am. bad case of loving you. So I have no, to, I have to apologize to, head. I have to apologize to the listeners now. I'll do the best I can. But you know what? The show never stops. We have never missed that's a right. week of these 66 weeks, and I'm not going to start now because right. I have a little bit of cough and right. cold. So. A, uh, a a cough hangover cough. I mean, I'm sorry. A, uh, you can call it what you yeah. want. <laughs> exactly. So where are you at right now? I am in the lovely uh, tundra that is called our nation's capital, Washington D.C. At the is moment. there a lot of snow there? Um, there is a lot of snow, um, and most uh, and most unenjoyably, it is a balmy, I guess, negative two degrees at the moment. That's it's, not the yeah, wind chill. Cold. That's the real temperature, negative two. That's the real temperature. Yeah. You, yeah what are you doing there? Because you you're not used to this, so you must be just dying right now. No, I yeah. This is uh, this is very cold, um, and I mean, thankfully, I'm inside in, in a very nice. Oh, you're not doing the podcast the from outside. No, I'm like not doing it outside do. in the backyard. <laughs> exactly right. Not outside in the backyard, as it were. Um, I'm here to visit with um, uh, a new client, actually, of ours and do a workshop tomorrow, uh, weather permitting, uh, on the wonderful, wonderful process of content marketing and bring their marketing team up to – brand new marketing team up to speed on what's going on in the wonderful world that we, we live that in. That is fantastic. Yeah, I, I have to say, yeah. so I was in, I was in Cancun uh, for five days and it was 80 degrees and sunny the, the same day, all five days in oh a row. Oh, my gosh. And then I get back uh, late last night to negative 13 in Cleveland. So. Oh, no. It was a little shock to the system, but... Yeah, I can imagine. Nothing uh, nothing, <laughs> we can't, nothing we can't get over. That, you know, That's of right. Of course, why wouldn't I get sick from once That's I exactly hit that right. uh, cold weather? 
Anyways, do we have any? That's uh, exactly right. Do we have anything going on this week in news? Because yeah, I missed we most do, of the actually, week, so you'll have a, to catch you me. You did. I'm going to try and catch you up Please as best do. I can here while you were uh, suffering from your cold. Um, and their first story comes to us straight out of the ivory tower of McKinsey. Um, and this was just a fabulous report for more reasons than, well, I'll go into a few of them. But um, this was a really interesting report that they've issued, and it came in, in the guise of both a, a report that they've, that they've issued as well as a very long blog post um, that basically says we're at the beginning or the dawn, as they say, of marketing's new golden age. Um, and they introduce this report in a really interesting way. They start talking about how the, you know, marketing of old was, you know, if we look back at the golden age of marketing where we look back at American Express's Don't Leave Home Without It or British Airways, the world's favorite airline, or I'd like to buy the world of Coke from Coca-Cola. And, you know, even until recently, marketing could be forgiven for sort of looking back at this sort of nostalgic age of television commercials and interruptive advertising and sort of that was sort of the golden age of marketing. But now, interestingly, and the way they tee this up is they say marketing has grown, the channels have grown, but the CEOs don't really see a lot of value out of this. And they cite a couple of studies that are well-worn at this point about how marketing and CMOs are really struggling with this. But then they go on to talk about like seven or eight different things, and we can pull a few of these out sure. to talk about them, seven or eight different things that really are going to stand out for marketers, the CMO, marketing strategy more broadly. And I thought some of these were just fantastic. I mean, what did you think about this? You know, this this seemed like a bit of your book, correct? I mean, wasn't this... <laughs> well, well, you know, <laughs> if, if I'm reading thing. this correctly, so, yes. I've, I'm like, this... It almost sounds like they consulted with you on a lot of it, this. It, it, if, if I hadn't known otherwise, because McKinsey, you know, I don't know why they didn't call me, but McKinsey didn't call Carla or I about this uh, at all. Um, but that notwithstanding, it, it, it is, it, it, it's like they pulled it from the book. They re- I mean, they, they actually cite some research that we cited. They actually take the same point of view. So, you know, I, I certainly am not, you know, putting us up there with McKin. Well, yeah, I kind of am. Anyway, I, 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 yes, it is very, very aligned with what the new book is about. I mean, it is exactly. Well, that. I think what was really interesting about this, and this is, a, by the way, this is a big deal. I mean, this is a, in, I mean, I, I, you and I both got emails from a number of people saying, look, yes. have you seen this? So I think that those listening, you need to take some time, I think, and take a look at this piece because what it says or wait for my wait for Robert's book and you'll get a little better interpretation <laughs> right. of all this going on uh, <laughs> but what they kept saying over and over again is how marketing is now critical to all parts of the business that's what's really that's changed right. right and it's like oh marketing doesn't get respect and even when they were going back in the heydays of American Express as you said and whatnot it never had the type of effect and they go through some really interesting um, cases and saying that there's all kinds of restructuring going on right now in marketing because we have you have to we have to be more responsive yeah, right. we have to understand how to get our customers attention and we can't do it by you know i mean the same old stuff we've been talking about throwing stuff in their face and saying buy this not going to do it anymore and they really talk about um the i mean a good portion of this is the idea of what's your story do you yeah, have an interesting exactly. story to tell that has nothing to do with the product that you sell or, or not that you're not selling around that? 
And I just thought it was interesting. So, I mean, you must have been <laughs> reading this saying, well, are you kidding yeah, me? I mean, My book's not exactly. out yet? What's well, going I, on? I know. I, well, there's, there's, there was that aspect to it for sure. But, I mean, some of, some of the stuff, I mean, just just exactly to your point, number it was the third – uh, of their of one of their of their major points and you know it, this is something that we talk to all the time and have been talking to for some time in workshops and consultations and and events and stuff where we say create that separate value you know marketers have to start creating value that is separate and discrete from the product or service being offered not just describing the value and their number three point here is and I'm going to quote from the report where they say they are making it increasingly natural for marketing to go beyond messaging and to shape the substance of the business, particularly the experience of customers. And so, and then they go on to, to, to really explain that in depth. And I guess the one place that I would quibble with them a bit is um, to you know, what you said was really important. They said, you know, marketing is undergoing this very focused restructuring and moving toward this sort of new age or in, in their mind and sort of this idea of story and big data and uh, this leadership position. I don't find that to be true for the most part. Um, I, I find most of the time that marketing is thrashing about a bit at this a bit and that there's a lot of talk about restructuring and very little action, right? Oh, uh, yeah. You know, it's sort I of, think that's right. With the companies that were in mostly Fortune, just for those people that know, mostly Fortune 500 companies that you're meeting with, they're just trying to figure this out right now. And, and they're, they're – I mean, that's why you're in there. You're in there consulting with right. them. And they well, haven't quite figured out their organizational structure yet. That's right. And and the interesting thing to me is is that they kind of know the answer, but one of the biggest questions they have is – and, you know, this article speaks to it as well. I mean, it, it, it brings up the Fournay's group study that is well-worn that talks about how CEOs are really struggling to get value out of their CMO and the CMOs are at constantly asking for more money for these new things and all of that. But the interesting thing that it goes that, – that I find is is that the pressure on marketing right now is to continuously – and incrementally continue to increase value. In other words, they kind of have to walk, chew gum, fly an airplane, and build a tank at the same time. And that's the real challenge is, is that nobody ever tells marketing, okay, just take a step back and now let's talk about how we might innovate and join all these you know channels together and really create a functional process and de-silo the organization. Let's just take a step back and take six months and do that. Nobody gives them permission to do that, and that's just an untenable sort of proposition anyway. But it's this idea of, okay, restructure, get simpler, build your story, get good, great big data going for you, do all of that, and by the way, still drive more leads and more sales and more loyalty and, and, and basically do more with less resources. And, and that's the real challenge here. It's you know, the one part that I was reading – where, by the way, I mean, it's a good, great report. Jonathan Gordon uh, in the New York office of McKinsey, and this is Jesko Perry uh, in the Dusseldorf office wrote this together. They did, a, they did a fine job. But when I was reading the yeah. portion that said – it was talking about um, do a lot of these companies are deciding to create their in-house story muscle. And I swear yeah, to right. God when I, I – because I, yeah, I, I you, you've been talking about this – you know, the idea that the storytelling muscle in organizations have atrophied. And I've heard that from you a million times. This is the only other time somebody said story muscle. And that's when I said, whoa, who's – they're even talking <laughs> like Robert. What the heck is going on? So anyways, but yeah. yeah. So you must have loved and hated this at the same time, my friend. It was – yes. It was, you know – well, here's the good news. I, usually <clears throat> these things sort of – 
preface uh, a bigger work. In other words, this is usually you know, the way McKinsey works is that they'll float this thing out there, and this will precede some larger piece that they're working on, which I suspect they are. I suspect these two guys are working on a book, and so. It will be very tasty indeed when my book comes out, and I can say, "Hey, by the way, did you guys? You know, you guys might want to check this book out. It uh, might help you in the you writing." You should send it. Yours. You should send them a copy. I will. Oh, I know. Trust me, that is that is number one on my list to do. It will be very, very fun. Oh, very indeed. good, my friend. All right, moving on to our next story here. This one comes courtesy of Ad Age, and you know, just when you thought SEO was changing, um, this is. This is an, I'm, I'm really keen to get your, your take on this, Joe. The headline here is Content Marketing Revives Agency SEO Efforts and Revenues. And again, coming from Ad Age here, and, and the article starts out by saying, what good is digital content if no one can find it? And that's a question driving growth at agencies these days as marketers rediscover search engine optimization's role in making or breaking a campaign and selling a product. And the article then continues on and talks about the reemergence of SEO as an incredibly uh, important part of the marketing and content mix. Um, and you know, it, it's got it's it's interesting because the, the agency from the director of marketing and SEO from Huge, which is a, a huge agency, forgive they me, were pun, for, yeah, they, no, they were up for yeah, they they were finalists for Content Marketing Agency that, of the Year last in, year, indeed, yeah. and. And he says, a lot of our clients are starting to put a heavy focus on organic. I, I, this article confused me. I don't know if it confused you, but but tell me what you thought about it. I, I haven't seen an article like this that just said so much focus on SEO. What I have seen, and you and I have talked about this a lot, and we've seen this push into content promotion, this idea of sure. less content and more impact on that content by putting more money behind it. So this is... We've been seeing this trend for the last 12 to 18 months where they're taking the foot off the gas with the original content creation, and they're really looking at, okay, let's plan this a little bit better. Let's see how much money that they can put behind this. Maybe they were putting you know, 25% promotion behind it, and maybe they're, they're cranking that up to 35 40%. And it seems like the, the, those numbers make sense with what this article is saying. They're taking it from, you know, whatever, 10% of the budget to 30% of the overall budget. So from that, that makes sense to me. But I haven't seen it just, I haven't seen it just focus on SEO, but it makes sense that, that a lot of these companies are really coming back to search engine optimization simply because they're not getting the social media traction they were getting. So from that perspective, if you're let's let's look at all the all the um, organic stuff you were doing on Facebook, they're they're pulling right. that back right now. So where are they going to put it to so they can get traction with this content? They're going to put it into SEO. I was yeah, because they go back and forth, right? I so, I sort of see what are you talking about? They're saying, look, we're going putting money into SEO, but we're also trying to put a little bit into paid. Is that kind of where you were? Thinking there was some confusion or was well, it a different I, area? Yeah, no, well, the, here, here's the reason I'm confused is because I see this – and I'm going to – you know, look, I, I – no, no agenda here, no grudge against the author of the article. I think it's a fine article. But I'm going to take them at their word when they say, you know, while search engine marketing services are as old as Google itself, they're seeing a resurgence as an agency moneymaker. Uh, one did it, I guess, by seeing a resurgence, there is some sort of implication there that it – in some way decreased markedly, you know, so that the research, the resurgence is actually worth noting. And 
Two, where it, then it follows up to say some large shops are getting around 20% revenue growth from search while others are beefing up their teams. So it, it seems to it, it, it basically imply that organic search services for agencies is seeing this huge renaissance. And if anything, I've heard the opposite, which is, yes, SEO is becoming an increasingly content marketing and driving for quality content. And many SEO agencies that we know are turning into content producers and creating high quality content and even getting into the, you know, the content promotion game and, and, and all of that. I, I don't know you know, I don't know whether they're conflating sort of the idea of SEO more broadly to content promotion, or if this is truly some sort of renaissance of organic search optimization, like I know. Well, you know, that's why I guess I'm confused. It's an interesting part, because in the one portion when they were talking about iProspect, and they were using their client GMC in this and said GMC identified three unbranded search topics, towing and trailering, uh, fuel efficiency and vehicle performance. And then from those creating new content around those unbranded areas, they were able to get 14,000 incremental organic site visits per month, which is fine. Right. That's sure. great. But th- this is not new. That's been right. done right. for forever. Yeah, ever since. So, I mean, that was always the case. Like, okay, they're going to find you for all these branded terms. If they're typing in GMC truck, you're going to get <laughs> found. It's pretty easy to do that. But right. all the other stuff where you're up at the, you know, Higher We're level of the funnel, let's truck. say. Right. <laughs> yeah, you want to be found for that stuff too. And so you're going to create original content around that. So I, yeah, I see. I, I'm more of the. I don't know. Um, I don't know whether it's an expansion of the. I guess here's my, my my real question is I don't know whether this is an expansion of the term SEO and services. In other words, the 20% revenue growth that these agencies are seeing is that because we're expanding the definition of what SEO services is to include. Things like content creation, content promotion, all those things that we are now seeing in our world when we look at what agencies and brands are doing from a search perspective. Or is this truly what we remember as sort of, you know, classic top down, you know, SEO, keyword density, meta tag, H1, you know, all the rest of that. And we're seeing some resurgence of that because I don't know why. I guess that's, and, and so that's where I guess I have the gap. You know, you're right. Now that I'm really rereading this, they never really, <laughs> never really <laughs> says it. Never really yeah. says why. Um, because I never thought there was a. Th- now the the term SEO now, I mean, has been getting right. kicked around a lot, and you have right. a lot of search agencies that have been uh, renaming themselves content marketing agencies or yeah, adding exactly. services in. But the idea of search, I mean, search has never <laughs> been more important uh, to anybody that's publishing content. It has remained incredibly important and you know nobody ever stopped doing any of this stuff they just started doing other things as well that's right that's right so i guess so that's that that's where i'm coming anyway i don't have to (laughs) figure it out yeah you know well you know and well it's the look there it's it's not lost on me that the guy who wrote the article is an SEO guy. I mean, and this, you know, <laughs> with all due irony of content marketing and the, you know, and what we talk about and our, you know, our topic of of the show, this could very well just be a content marketing placed article that is that is resurrecting itself. Well, I think you know, so. Long like, story short, I think the learnings for the listeners here is that there is a lot more attention being put on content promotion and content findability and content discovery than ever before where not that i mean you still need the organic content creation you still need the base uh 
to have any of that other stuff happen, but they're starting to figure out, look, maybe we shouldn't be creating eight articles or 10 articles a day. Maybe we should figure out ones that are really going to make an impact on our audience. And then how can we put a little bit of extra effort behind those? It's a great point. It's a great point because I'll tell you that, you know, here we are, whatever, uh, what is it, 35 or 36 days into 2015. And I can tell you that 2015 right now, right now is the year of content promotion. Every conversation I'm having with brands, with agencies, with people who are, you know, coming up to me at conferences and workshops, the, it's all the same question. It's what is what are the best content you know promotion strategies? How much should I be paying? Where should I be paying for it? How should I be doing? You know, basically marketing the marketing. How am I how am I promoting the content that I'm creating to pull in that audience? And it's this is the topic. Well, and I think right the other now. thing so is back to the article is the reason why in a lot of cases is there's just a lot. There's so many more options from to right. where it was two years ago. I mean, you have all the sponsored content, the native advertising stuff that's just, and we'll talk about that later as well, that's just exploding. You have so many more opportunities to get your content in front of you know, the, the right kinds of audiences that might be open to you know, engaging in that content. So before, you know, years ago, I, you know, a few years ago, you had organic search was overwhelmingly the, the way that you were getting new traffic. Right. That's why link That's building right. was so critical. So we need to get those links. We need to be found on other people's sites. We need to be found on Google. Now you got a lot of other places. So yeah, it's exactly right. All right, moving on to our next story, and this comes to us all the way from that wonderful, wonderful land down under, and where we'll be going in literally a month from now, from Australia. That's right. And by the way, we ha- we should mention because we haven't talked about it at all. So those people in Singapore and Sydney and New Zealand, we want to see it. Content Marketing Sydney or Content Marketing Singapore. Eight, you know, sixteenth to eighteenth is Sydney. Nineteenth and twentieth is Singapore. That's going to be fun. By the way, oh, it's going to be yeah, it's going to tra- be a whirlwind. <laughs> that- it's going to be a whirlwind. You better get your uh, cold over with very, very quickly here. Oh, I'm looking forward be, to that jet lag. Anyways, a, so a, not, now you may go anyway, into the article because I had to get that all out there, right. So Absolutely. So it comes to us from theaustralian.com.au, uh, and the headline is APN Chief, uh, Michael Miller's Play for Content Marketing. And for those of you in the States, um, for those of you in, uh, in, in, uh, in Oz, you'll, you'll know APN very well. For, for those of you here in the U.S. or in Europe um, or elsewhere in the world, APN is basically a combination of, well, here in the States, Clear Channel and Hearst, right? So they have outdoor advertising, they do newspapers, they have radio. television stations, radio. I mean, they're basically a full-on multimedia big company. Um, and their CEO, Michael Miller, he's uh, the article goes on to say, is making a big play in the native advertising and content marketing space with the launch of a new company. And this new company is going to tap into the fast-growing, and I find this fascinating. I want to know where they got this number. The fast-growing $4.3 billion global market. Um, and basically, he they, the, the article is really a profile on this guy and how he turned around APN, got them a 27% profit jump. And this new company that he's launching called Emotive is going to really be a content marketing focused uh we've seen it here in the states and now we're seeing it in australia what say you joe polizzi is this is he doing this the right well, way but, yeah I, I do have a take on that i don't know yeah. if you can look this up but that that 4.3 billion dollar number has been cited many many times we should probably just figure out who 
the originator of that. I don't know if it was <laughs> go back to I don't right. know if it was eMarketer that that came up with that, but anyways, we can look that up. Here's what I don't believe it by the way, but but that's what we can yeah, exactly. Do you, I don't believe any of those numbers. Are you kidding that's me? Right. I mean, that's shoot, right. 10 years ago, uh, there were organizations out there saying that the custom content business was 30 billion dollars. Oh, there we go. And I like theirs. Yeah, thirty billion dollars today. It's forty-four billion, and I've never believed. I've never billion. believed that yeah. number because you can't substantiate it because the budgets are all over the place. Yeah, you can go into exactly. the marketer and say, "What are you spending on content marketing?" and they'll tell you. But there's there's nine other people in the organization spending money on it that you're not talking to. So, anyways, that's right. That's uh, right. Because it's not centralized. You can you can do right. that with advertising because it's usually centralized. Anyways, off my soapbox. Um, I like so the new organization that they're creating, that they're underwriting, that they own a piece of is called Emotive, and and just backstory, this is not a new thing where a media company creates a no, custom media division. Not. And just just and I think we we might have said this a couple episodes, Robert, but generally in a business to business media company, generally eight to ten percent of the revenues every year come from ancillary revenues. And when you say ancillary revenues, that means you're looking at custom content creation, you're looking at reprint sales off of content you've already created, directory sales, inside sales, stuff that's not core, not core content, paid content, or advertising. Oh, okay. So that's 8 All to right. 10% right. in general. And I've looked at it for years, Robert, and in general, every company I go into, 8 to 10%. So, so you just, so, so that you know. Now... All they're right. coming in here, so they're probably they're probably already doing a good portion in the company sure. already. So they're saying, "Look, hey, this is growing. We got an opportunity." They're citing that four point three billion global market, and they're like, "We're going to create emotive." What I like it, and why I think this will work to the behest of some of our agency friends, probably is because they're launching it separately. If you were launching it inside APN News and Media. I probably would say, look, it's going to be fine. It'll be a nice service department, but it'll never grow. Right. Because you cannot grow. It's an internal agency at that point. You, you, can't, you can't do it with, with a sales organization that's selling other products that are advertising related because they're always going to sell their quota first. Sure, of course. They're never right. going to go in consultatively and say, what's your problems? What's your pain point? What's keeping you up at night? They're not going to ask you any of those stuff. They're going to say, do you want six times or 12 times? That's what they're going to ask right. you. They're going to try to figure that out. Now, I understand we're more consultative these days. We don't just, it's not like 20 years ago when we used to just go in and they used to check the box and you're a you know, monthly advertiser or weekly, depending on what the book was. But I like that they're doing this separately. Because what they're doing is they're being – because they're owned by APN, they're able to get a lot of the benefits, probably a lot of the infrastructure. They're getting all that already, but they're going to create their own sales organization, which is – that's that's critical. You have to have this in order to succeed. But they may be able to leverage the marketing. Like they may be able to leverage the database that APN already has to be a leg up. Oh, which well, is, sure. <clears throat> Which is all the time, Robert, when we used to go out and we used to pitch against when I this is when I for those of you who are new listeners, when I used to work at Penton Media and I used to run the content marketing division within Penton, the um the way that we used to go to market is we leverage wherever we could the sales relationships that we had with the magazine. Because we they they knew Penton or they knew one of the books like Machine Designer Industry Week, so we could go in and we could leverage some of that marketing. 
Now, right. it, it, that was offset by the fact that a lot of the time the salespeople didn't like us because they thought we were stealing their business. <laughs> right. And like, exactly. hey, that was, hey, I, I, boy, I got over, I mean, I've told you some of these stories. I've been in meetings sure. where you get uh, publishers that would say, I can't believe you sold this $200,000 product because that could have been a 12-time ad program. Right. And I'm like, well, if they, exactly. were, if they needed a 12-time ad program, that's what I would have sold. They didn't need that's that. Right. This is what they need. needed right. to tell their story differently. So anyways, but I like this setup. I think that they, if they keep this setup and they keep a lot of those internal politics, this could be really, really successful. Now, what what did you think about? Now, I have to go down the article here because I thought it was super cool. Oh, they, I haven't seen this done before. With their radio stations, they're creating musical programming. Like, yeah, I did, exactly. Like, I don't right. know what that means, but I love it. Like, what, is, what are they going to do? Are they going to talk with... They're advertising. They could do this. They, How does that work? They could do. They could do something very similar to what Pandora did with um, with uh, Toyota, which I thought was just a wonderfully inventive program, where Pandora let Toyota curate and create a radio station, and so you could go and and basically listen to the Toyota radio station, which was I think it was rock and roll or something like that, and then basically it was curated purely by Toyota and and then sponsored by Toyota and really it would the only thing that you would get is is that this radio station is sponsored by Toyota. So see now you know that I think now I'm sure they're already talking about this. I think just music stations that's short-sighted. I think content. Like if you were Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean like uh, well, if, if you're if you're Fidelity, I mean why wouldn't you create a, you know, a financial education station? Of course sure. you would. Absolutely. So that that's where I think the opportunity – because then you'd have that, – That goes back to Sears Radio from the 1920s, exactly. right? I mean, then, but, yeah. then, but, but here's the here's where the native advertising really comes in. It's the distribution, right? So yeah. APN will help them create the content, but at the same time, it's the distribution that they can offer to actually get people to listen to it because they're already – they're just going to pull from their existing set of listeners. That's right. So, that's exactly. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I lo- did you like it? I loved it. I really did like it. You know, the interesting thing is, and so this is where it's so nice when when you and I talk because I get to learn so much about that business that I don't know that much about. the The interesting thing to me was the corollary. What you know? So when you, it's like the, the funny thing was I thought the exact same thing when I the 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 inside of the group versus the outside of the group, and I I, I thought it was a fascinating way to structure it and the right way to structure it to make it sort of outside, you know, sort of outside the bounds of everything else, just for all of the reasons that you said. And what I see in companies all of the time, and this is, this is a class, this is becoming more and more uh, the the case when I, so I'll go into these big companies and what I'll see is they're creating a separate content marketing group. They recognize the importance and they're creating this content, very focused content group. But here's the thing. They create this content group and they give them. They immediately put them in handcuffs. So this content marketing group, maybe they have the remit to create, let's call it a blog, right, just for the yeah. sake of ease. And they create this blog, and this blog is going to be their thing, right? That this content marketing group, that's your thing, content marketing group. You're going to create the blog, and then they go, great. Uh, our goal is going to be to build audience, and so we're going to use a marketing automation tool, and we're going to build subscribers to our blog. And the demand team, the demand gen team goes, no. Building subscribers is our thing. You can't do that. We, if you're going to build any subscribers or capture information, we have to yeah. be the ones to do that. And then they go, okay, well, uh, I know what we'll do. We'll actually uh, provide th- the subscribers and we'll give them to you as well. No, you can't do that. 
because our, you know, capturing any sort of data, email address, that's our thing. And then they go, okay, well, well, great. Well, we'll, we'll just give you traffic. And they're like, yep, that's, that's what you're all gonna you're going to do. Gonna that's what you're going to do. And then they, then they're frustrated eight or nine months later when they're like, we can't measure how successful this content marketing program is. And it's, you and that I just we just talked about this two episodes yeah, ago. I know exactly. exactly what you're talking about. It's a very <laughs> big company that does yeah, this, and exactly. they can't even do they can't even get a lead or any kind of subscriber because anytime they're collecting information, that's not their domain. That's right. I'm like, that's how right. do you and prove? It's, it's like, and that's they're what, trying to prove it through web traffic, and they're going to fail. Right. Exactly. And this goes, I mean, this goes back to the McKinsey thing, right, where we talk about this golden age of marketing coming and we've got to change that. They have to be connected. These experiences have to be connected and we have to stop worrying about whose job it is. To, I mean, it's the, I mean, that is the, it is the business's job. It is marketing's job to do this. It is not your remit to be the only person. Nobody owns the customer anymore. I hate that. The owning of the customer. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, just, I, I did really, really like it. The other thing I'll, I'll note really quickly here before we can move on is the, the, this yet again is another shot again. I just had this conversation at an agency, a large agency in the South last week. And this is another shot again across the bow of agencies that are, you know, that are that are just going, eh, maybe we'll get into content marketing, maybe we won't, or maybe we'll stick in this SEO thing, or maybe we'll just stay in advertising. Brands are pulling these groups internally, and now you're seeing media companies go external and create these things. This is direct competition to agencies. Well, you know what? That is a really good segue. Are you going to talk about the craft one? Is that the next one? I am. Because that, yeah, that's that a really good story, segue yeah. talking about Meredith as the agency, actually. It's, agency it's and, and publisher. Yep. So. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on let's to that. Yeah. So this article, this news article comes to us courtesy of marketingland.com. Um, and the headline is Craft, and we've made no <laughs> we've made no bones about it. We are both fanboys of what Craft is doing from a content marketing perspective. But the headline is Craft and Meredith team up on native ads in email. And it talks about Meredith Corporation, and, and Joe, you can speak at length about what Meredith is up to, but basically they have – the article opens up by saying they've long sold traditional banner ads in million-strong email newsletters. But more recently, the publishing giant, Meredith, has been moving quickly in its embrace of native advertising. And now what they're doing is, is that they're bringing this in partnership with Kraft and the food that they produce through their online recipes um, and of their Kraft Recipes online content platform, which we've talked about um, at a long, long, long time. And they're doing some really interesting thing there where they are actually partnering with Meredith to provide content, targeting, data um, across 450 million emails every month that contain basically links to promoting craft content on the online recipes uh, on the online recipes platform, I just think this is this is the future here. What you're seeing here, a media publishing company and a brand working together to build an audience. It's it's pretty incredible. I, I think to your point about agencies being scared, this is they never had a reason to be scared before. And I, of course, I'm gonna. I'm, this is, must be the show of reminiscing. I'm gonna reminisce one more time. To, can I do it like okay. the Wayne's word? <laughs> so if when I, <clears throat> so we were, uh, you know, we were the content agency within the publishing company, and we used to go against all the all the big boys, the all the content. Mar- well, they were called custom publishers at the time, content marketing agencies. And I talked to one in particular, 
And she basically told me, so this is the CEO of a, a fairly mid-sized, you know, mid-sized content marketing agency. And she says, you know, we're, we're never, we love going up against you. And I'm like, oh, that's great. She says, because as, as much as you want to say that you've got publishing experience, you don't understand the client's needs as much and you don't have the talent that we have. You think you have more talent, but you don't have the talent that we have. Content strategists, real people that understand audience development. That's all we do for clients all day long. And at the time, I'm like, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? But, you know, she was absolutely right. <laughs> right. Because we used to sell with our bo- – we used to call it our box of tools. It's like, oh, okay, we got audience we can bring the editor from that magazine to over and, and talk to you. We can try to get a column from that person. We could, we brought all the things that we had as the publisher and the brand and the people on the staff that were well-known in the industry and anything else that we could put together to say, look, and this is why you should partner with us from the content perspective. Now let's fast forward to 20 years. Now these publishers have everything and they have that box of tools. They really do. I mean, Meredith yep. – Accelerated, uh, they won Content Marketing Agency of the Year. This is a publisher. They won Content Marketing Agency of the Year. So if you think about it from that perspective, I mean, we're, we're there. And if you're an agency, I would be really, really nervous about that. Yes, I would be too. I would be very scared. I mean, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. When I, t- when I spoke with that agency uh, and I said to them, you know, I, I talked to them about this very thing. I said, you know, the interesting thing that you have is that now, I said, but this is changing. I said, is that you have people who know how to market. I said, and so you can bring that to bear right now, but it will not be long before, because it's easy to teach people how to do marketing. It is not easy to teach people how to be great storytellers and build audience. And so if I was building a team right now, I'd be building, I'd be building a team that looks much more like a media company than, than a traditional agency. Well, and then back to the McKinsey story. On simplicity. This is what we're seeing. We're seeing less. Well, that's exactly right. We're seeing less. And there's one that I was talking with uh, another content marketing agency about their client that had uh, 28 different agencies that they work with currently. Right. Exactly. And they're trying to get that. They have some company mandate to half that in the next 12 months. I mean, that's. That's a good start, yeah. I guess. But man, can you imagine twenty eight? I mean, that's the that's the and rule. Trying to not go to the 14, and they're trying to right, and they're trying to go to fourteen. I mean, that's the that's the crazy thing, right? So if you're yeah, it's, so if you're you know, it's it's interesting. I think I, I really think that these uh, you know these publisher agency you know uh, companies, and then what we're seeing, what we just saw with the the one at APN, it's it, you're going to see more and more of this happen because they're getting the native advertising dollars. They're getting a sniff of it. They finally believe in it. They're finally getting religion about this because they're seeing this as a, as a real uh, revenue stream that get, can move for them. And That's right. what we're seeing on the M&A side, they're actually getting good value for this when they're selling and flipping and we're seeing all the mark, content marketing technology being sold and they're not scared of it because traditionally when they would sell, if a media company would sell and they had a high proportion of content marketing dollars in that, that would be discounted. That doesn't That's seem right. to be happening anymore. That's a big shift. That's right. And just, and just one final thought on this. For anybody, any agency president or agency strategist who's out there looking at that article going, I don't get how this helps them sell more cheese or how this helps them sell more mayonnaise. It's not about that. It is about the first party data. That is that this this whole that whole article is entirely about them getting deeper and more better 
first-party data that they use then to feed their programmatic ad buying and get more efficient. Yeah, I, you know what? So you could probably yeah. call it less marketing and more research and development. Yeah, that's because exactly Because they're right. using this data to figure out when they're going to launch certain things, what new products they're going to launch. This hasn't been done mm-hmm. before on the marketing side. And in, fact, and in fact, not to draw this, not to beat this horse into the Let's ground or anything, but that is, that is exactly what the, that's what the McKinsey report says. Is that the 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 what they what they when they talk about big data? What they say is the big data isn't always about the data that you have. It's about doing big research projects to go get data you don't have. And that to me was just like yes, preach to the choir. Marketing and innovation—the only two things Absolutely. that differentiate well, the speaking company. Speaking of Drucker. speaking of data and audiences and segmenting and all that stuff, we have our lovely lovely sponsor this week At, for for a second consecutive week. We would like dun, dun, uh, dun. we would like to thank Marketo, uh, dun, the dun, dun, marketing automation software dun, dun, solutions. Dun, dun, dun organization that has been a great supporter of uh, Content Marketing Institute and now this show. So thank you for spreading your wings over here to this old marketing. Um, They have a workbook, which we talked about last week, but I loved it because they took took a lot of the best of the best content. And Marketo, I mean, we've talked about it before. Very good content marketer. They know their stuff. They They put this thing together in something called the Content Marketing Tactical Plan for you to download. So basically... If you're trying to figure out your strategy, you haven't documented your strategy, or you have a strategy and you think you need a little bit of work, this content marketing tactical plan is for you. Go ahead, down, download it. You fill it in to develop. It kind of fills in itself. You fill in to develop your strategies. You know, and you start creating that, uh, you know, that content marketing factory, content marketing machine that maps specifically to your goals. It includes staffing guidelines, content planning charts. Uh, there's an editorial calendar template in there. There's promotion objectives and tactics, and then there's it's really there's a metrics good. form as well. It's really good. I mean, I, we're not. It's really good. And, and I know we're being paid to say this, but I'm really serious. This really is a good piece of content. Um, go to well, you can pay me to say something, but you can't pay me to say something's really good if it isn't really that's good. Right. <laughs> that's right. We would just normally say, "Hey, you know what? You should check it out." or something but we actually said this is good this is a good piece of kind of bitly.com slash pnr dash marketo <laughs> bitly.com slash pnr dash marketo m-a-r-k-e-t-o and uh, you get to the short link to that please download it of course um if you're interested in all uh it's good for us too because um it keeps the show going uh, so we wouldn't be able to do what we do without our sponsors and it would be, you know, if we had a couple of weeks without a sponsor, it'd get, it'd get lonely. Robert, you'd get really worried. You'd probably start, you know, overeating. I'd be sad, you'd be, Joe. I'd be really, you'd, really you'd sad. Be sad. You'd, you'd be sad. Joe. You'd be spending more time in, in Washington, D.C. or surrounded by five snow. feet of snow. I'd be in the snow. Very sad. In, uh, Los Angeles. So thanks again to our uh, sponsors, Marketo, this week. Really appreciate it. And uh, make sure you go download that when you get a chance. Absolutely right. Well, all right, folks. It is time for the part of the show that you really, really love to love or that you love to hate. It is our rants and rave sections where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that is giving us a little bit of snowstorms or a little bit of California sunshine. Um, And I have this old marketing this week, um, which I'm super excited about, by the way, because it's one of my favorite this old marketing examples um, uh, that we've done. So I have a very, very quick – Rave that I want to just, I mean, it's very, very quick. <clears throat> and it has to do with this week, uh, there was a video that came out from our 
fearless leader, President Obama. And uh, this article comes straight out of the Christian Science Monitor, which is one of my favorite newspapers, I have to be honest, if you're looking for coverage of things. And the headline is, Obama's Selfie Stick Video, End of Western Civilization or Hip Marketing. And I think it's the latter, despite, you know, the politics, and I'm not, I'm not even getting into politics here, and not even a little bit about what you think about his politics or uh, politics in general. But is it, was it smart? And the reason I loved this video, if you didn't see it, I don't know, did you see it, Joe? I did not, did I did not see it, it, it it's, no. it's a wonderfully funny video. Um, you know, it's probably a few minutes long, and it's, it's him. It, there's, a, there's a classic of him s- sitting in the mirror, practicing how he's going to say something. Then he's got the selfie stick, and he's taking selfie pictures with himself, you know, kind of in an awkward way. There's a, cl- mm-hmm. my favorite part of the video is him. He's dunking chocolate chip cookies into a, uh, into a glass of milk and the cookie doesn't fit. And he's like, yeah, thanks, Obama. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, because the cookie doesn't fit. It's very funny. And basically the entire point is he was trying to promote um, the health care, the, the coverage, you know, so for, uh, you know, for the Affordable Health Care Act and the coverage Getting window was open during – exactly, to get people to sign up during the open window period and all that kind of stuff. He did the same thing last year with uh, – uh, Between Two Ferns when he went on there and did something similarly funny, I thought. And it sort of brought to mind to me the other thing that he did just uh, – I think it was last week or the week before where he actually invited a bunch of YouTube – uh, celebrities, I'll use that word in quotes, to come in and actually interview him doing stuff. And there were some very odd, strange characters from YouTube that went in and, uh, and interviewed him. The, the thing that I love about this and the reason I'm raving about it is because to me, this is a president who gets it. At least it's, a, it's an executive office that gets it. Whether he actually just does this under duress or not, I don't know, don't care. He's doing it, and it's got a point of view. The content is interesting. It's separate value, discreet from what it's trying. It's, it is classic content marketing, and I really like it. And a, as a marketing tactic, I'm not saying the politics again, but as a marketing tactic, I really loved it. And I just, I, I thought it was just a wonderful example and wanted to rave about it a little bit. Excellent. That's a great example. I'll have to check it out. I, yeah. I did not get a chance. I had you were on you had, were on vacation. Well, yeah, you had a drink in your hand. I, I was, and, yeah. I had this cough and this yeah, cold. Yeah, exactly. Thing this that yes, exactly. Was really bothering me. I have exactly. I, I have two articles that I want to talk about. I have some rant, uh, uh, two two raves and a rant uh, with this one. But I'll be uh, as quick as I possibly can. But I just thought these were super interesting. So the one. Uh, it's from Digiday, article from Digiday, sent in by our good friend of the show, James Gardner. James sends this stuff all the time, so thanks, James. I really appreciate it. Uh, the article is called Why Ad Buyers Are Upbeat on the New York Times Digital Transformations. And the whole article is basically about, you know, native advertising at New York Times is starting to work. They're seeing digital advertising increase after a decrease last year. So things are up and up. And there's there's two things that I really like about this. The article talks about how strict that T Brand Studio, which is the content marketing group within the New York Times, is still very, very uh, basically when when the Times takes a native advertising deal, they do the content themselves. They're very right. strict about it. They have stringent um, guidelines with it. Unlike our friends at Forbes, nothing against Forbes, but Forbes, you, you know, if you could you could do Forbes brand voice, and you know, I could I could buy that program and I could create content on Forbes. You sure. can't do that with New York Times. They created themselves based on your. So I, that's my rave. I still, they are still keeping strong to that, and I like that because it works for them. It works for what they're trying to do with their overall business. This is what I thought was kind of 
I, I just didn't know what to think of this, but maybe you got a take <laughs> on this one. But okay. later in it, um, let's see, it's uh, Steve Rebell, who's chief content strategist at Edelman. He says right. it's going to put because they're so strict, it's going to limit their opportunities for native ads because you're not allowed to open it up, and they think that uh, an entry level native ad product could make the product more accessible because you get a wider range of advertisers. And then I'm like, seriously? This is the New York Times. You don't want a wider range of advertisers. Exactly. You want a very small pool of advertisers because these are the elite of the elite. If you open it to a wider range of advertisers, you're diluting everything you're trying to do as an organization. Damned if you do and damned if you don't. So I'm just – that was my rant. I'm like – and I got nothing against Edelman or Steve, uh, but – I just was just scratching my head saying, no, they're doing what they think is <laughs> exactly. right. Don't open right. it up. Don't right. water it down. Exactly. So exactly. Well, they're trying to they're tr- they're trying to actually address the concerns that a John Oliver might have, right? By by saying, look, this is the way we maintain integrity is that we do it. We don't let the advertiser do it. We do it. And so, you know, you can think that that's bad or cross the line or whatever, but at least we've, you know, we maybe we moved the line. You can argue that, but this is the line we have we'll now not cross is that we actually will maintain our own integrity what we're comfortable with our creative and and we will choose the advertisers that we work with to do this and to me that's a that's the that's the valid ultimate strategy well it's interesting right it's not a one size fits at all i mean new york times is a very different strategy than forbes and and i we're not covering us on the show but the article i think it's this week's forbes magazine that has a native uh, sponsored section right on the cover of the magazine of the print magazine so yeah. they're really stretching it um yeah. which seems to be working for them we'll see you know we'll see yeah. how that goes I, I think the jury's out on that one yet so we'll have to see my other quick rave yeah, this is from the wall street journal uh barney's takes a shot at publishing and i just thought this was super industry of, of course we've, we've seen you know there's a lot of fashion uh, average a lot of fashion brands out there that have done publishing of, of one sort or another but basically barney's had this initiative called the window which has been a blog for a long long time they have convert this is what i love about this robert they've taken <laughs> they've taken the data so they've been doing this blog for a while barney's has been doing sure. this blog yeah high, you know high high fashion blog and they're taking the best um the, the the most engaging posts within that, depending on what they're going after, and then the most engaging, the ones that rank the best, that gets the most interaction, those are the ones that are making it into the print publication called The Window, same brand, same content brand, and that uh, Barney's is dropping this week 120,000 copies, 144 pages, no advertising in it at all, and they're going to continue to do that, and uh, and basically they're targeting just the highest spending clients they have. Wow. With it. Wow. Wow. And uh, I think it's super interesting that, and I, yeah, the reason why really I thought, I mean, this is not, I mean, uh, Netta Porter does the, does they have a, sure. their magazine called, do, yeah. called Porter? They do the same thing, but. Yeah. Um, Apostrophe with uh, whatever, Land's End. Yeah. I, think it is. I mean, there's Land's a lot, there's a lot of them yeah. out there, but there's, what's interesting is we're seeing this print thing come back. And, and what yeah. I, but what's different this time around, it's, it's not, we're, we're not going to launch a print magazine because we want to launch a print magazine. It's because we have some amazing content and data already, and we're going to package it in such a way to this very particular audience that we want to do a very particular thing. And I just think that's cool. So 
Hats off to them. Really, I'd like to see yeah, this hats more. Hats off. Absolutely. That's a really, really interesting example. All right. Well, on to our This Old Marketing example Let's for do the it. week. So this one I'm super excited about, not only because of the way I found it, which I'll get to in just a second, but also because it fits into exactly what we've just been talking about for the last 40 minutes about this agency and the media companies becoming drivers of content marketing strategies and all those sorts of things. And this fits directly into that. And so the way I found this was I have been looking – I am a comic book fan. I love comic books. I love to read comic books. But I'm also a digital guy. And I don't have time to actually get down to comic book stores like I used to when I was a kid. And I also don't really enjoy carrying around a lot of paper with me. And so I have been looking for a great app for to read comic books on. And I finally found one on my for my Amazon Kindle. It's this uh, it's this thing called Comics, and it's a wonderful app. I, I highly recommend it if you're into comic books because it's a really great interface and it's really nice. Um, they don't have a lot of DC comics if you're into DC comics, just FYI. But then I don't want to geek out too much. Anyway, so I start. I, it got me thinking. I wanted to know the origin of comic books, and so I started researching. This is what I do on my weekends. I research the history of comic books, and I came up with all sorts of stuff, and I won't bore you with all the stuff that I found out, but what I found was this fascinating example of, of content marketing going back, and there was a company called the e- – and what I love about this is this is a story not about the brand itself, but about the agency that enabled the brands to do content marketing. So this company is called the Eastern Color Printing Company, and it was a company that published comic books beginning in 1933. And first, they only published like newspaper comic strips, but later on, they got into other kinds of, you know, sort of what we would call classic comic books and and the format, which started as sort of the tableau or the, the tabloid sort of format, but then got into the smaller versions that we sort of know and love today. Anyway, so as there's a guy there in the early 1930s, and his name is Harry Wildenberg, and he's a sales guy. And he's charged with making sure that the color printing presses are moving all of the time. And so he comes up with this great idea. He goes to Gulf Oil Company. Gulf Oil was still a big company at that point. And Gulf Oil, he goes to them and says, hey, listen, we should do a comic book for you. So they ended up doing a full-on comic book series for Gulf Oil called the Gulf Comic Weekly which was distributed at all the gas stations. And then Gulf Oil then, through, because they were, became so successful, the Gulf Comic Weekly, they started advertising the comic book. And so they started putting real budget into promoting the comic book, which would, of course, draw people into the, the gas station to pick up the oh, comic book. And, of course, they would get <clears> – <throat> they would get – their comic books and, of course, their gas. And they started with a big tabloid version that they distributed, and then they went to actually a smaller version, and then they actually started distributing them. It ran from 1933 all the way to 1941, 422 issues of this. And so then they said, this is working, so they actually went out to Procter & Gamble. And they did a 32-page comic book called Funnies on Parade, which is classic, a classic comic book, but it was sponsored and promoted by Procter & Gamble. And then they went to Shell Oil and did what they called the Shell Globe, which was for distribution, just like the Gulf Oil comic book was, 13,000 Shell gas stations. This was uh, the Mutt and Jeff, if you remember the Mutt and Jeff characters. 
And Mutt and Jeff in the comic books was at the Shell Globe as part of their comic series. And they basically produced all of these comic series throughout the 30s and 40s and 50s for all these companies. In addition to doing the regular comic book stuff that they were doing for original publishing companies and newspapers, they were doing these for private label brands as well in the 30s and 40s. And I just thought it was a fabulous example of this. Old That's market. so interesting. You don't see a lot of printers doing that today. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, you see a lot. They're getting into data and audience development stuff because a lot of what they do is handle circulation files for sending. But you don't see a lot of them say, "Hey, you know, you know, the, let's go out and see what our uh, customers need around this, and then maybe we can package and create for them a you know content project in print." But you just don't see yeah. it anymore. That's it's so interesting. Exactly. Great, great example. Yeah. Really fun example. All right. Well, where? So you're back now. You're back with your. I'm back cough. among among the living, <laughs> and right. uh, and I had to tomorrow. I'm heading to Kansas City. I'm keynoting the um, Kansas City IABC uh, oh, meeting, right. and uh, looking for a good I crowd there. City. Yep, Kansas City is great. Uh, although I do here. have a, a rant against uh, United Airlines. They they cut my direct flight now. There's Uh no direct flight from Cleveland to Kansas City, which is kind of sad. So, you know, whatever. You got to do that. So after after D.C., where are you going? I head up to the lovely Jersey City, uh, which is just across the river, of course, from New York City. Um, And I'll be visiting the lovely folks at TD Ameritrade to work with them on uh, a little bit of content marketing strategy stuff. And then I go home. I'm out of the tundra, back home for a little bit. That's so nice. Yeah, you have to rest up for that – uh, Sydney and Singapore trip. So oh, you have it's to, getting close. Oh, it's, it's getting, getting, getting close. very, very close, my friend. Fantastic. Close. All right. Well, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, thank you so much to everybody who tweets us up um, at hashtag this old marketing. The story ideas, keep them coming. It's great. We love it. If you want to send an email because you're, you know, like into the whole email thing, you know, you're all 50 shades of gray into email, this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 66, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. Everything, all the links, everything you need to click through are on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. And we do hope you'll tune in next week when we're going to hear Joe say, it tastes like chicken. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.